you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 69 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now, let's dig into history. Well, thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith today. Before I get rolling, I just want to say a quick thank you to Betsy and Matthew, two new uh, Patreon subscribers that I've got. And if you want to become uh, one of my patrons, please go check me out at patreon.com slash Baker. Every month I put out two videos. One is an acoustic video, uh, acoustic version of like one of my original songs I do a video of. And I also do a breakdown of either one of the early Christians or one of the early Christian writings. I just finished doing a video on uh, a guy named Aristides and an apology he wrote to Emperor Hadrian at the beginning of the second century. And man, it is just amazing to see the apologetic and polemics, uh, polemical works that uh, that he puts out in that writing. It's just it's just incredible. All right. Well, episode sixty nine is the coronavirus and the plague of Cyprian, and in it I show how the Chinese Christians that are experiencing this coronavirus are operating in a way that's very countercultural and counterintuitive. And yet it's a way that the Christians have behaved in situations like this for thousands of years. And so we're going to look at the coronavirus and those Chinese Christians and also the plague of Christ, uh, plague of Cyprian, perhaps what that plague was and how the Christians responded to it and why a belief in the resurrection is so important in times like these. All right. Well, if you're blessed by this episode, I really want to encourage you to go to my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith, and become a subscriber. Um, Leave a positive rating and review. That'll help other people find the channel as well. In 2016, I wrote a book called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. And uh, you can find it on Amazon. And if it's been a blessing to you, I really want to encourage you also to go ahead and leave a rating and review there. If you want to check out my music, you can find uh, so many albums that I've done and EPs that I've done at my website, philsbaker.com. You can find links to everything there, uh, the music, podcast, blog, Patreon, all kinds of stuff there at philsbaker.com. Well, I am blessed to be a part of the Fourth Watch Radio Network uh, of Justin Fault, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And if you have a question about anything that we talk about on Reclaim the Faith or anything BDK talks about on Omega Frequency or Justin Fall on the Fourth Watch Radio Network, please feel free to email me at emailphilsbaker at gmail.com. And lastly, the early Christian quotes that I use can generally be found on the Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com. All right, without any further ado, Let's go ahead and get episode 69 rolling.
Well, for the last few months, the coronavirus has been causing so much panic all over the world. But in China, the Chinese Christians are approaching this not as a terrible situation, but as an opportunity to spread the gospel. So these Christians are out there on the streets and they're wearing surgical masks. But first, the Christians wear masks uh, as they talk about Jesus to prevent the disease, but also to prevent uh, prosecution by the Chinese government since masks help conceal their identities. Now, the people of Wuhan are facing this just incredibly fearful uncertainty in the midst of this epidemic. And because of that, many are many Chinese are becoming much more receptive to the gospel. They recognize the great courage and the great love of these Christians that are willing to put themselves at risk so that others can know the truth of the gospel. And it is really making an an awesome impact in the lives of so many there in Wuhan. And why is it so impactful? Well, I believe one reason is, as the writer of Hebrews says, we are all tempted to succumb to a fear of death. And yet these Chinese Christians believe in something greater than death, something more powerful than death. But we all, at some point, wrestle with this fear of death. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter two, starting in verse 14, speaking of Jesus, the writer says, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he, again, speaking of Jesus, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. See, in China, you see Jesus coming to the aid of these Chinese Christians who are tempted to be fearful of death. And you see Jesus strengthening them and filling them with the courage to love others in the face of death that he himself possessed. But this is not something new. The same Holy Spirit moving in Jesus is the same Holy Spirit moving in the Chinese Christians. It's the same Holy Spirit that was moving in the third century during a horrific plague known as the Plague of Cyprian. In around 250 CE to 271, a plague known as the Cyprian Plague swept across Egypt and the rest of the Roman Empire reportedly claiming more than 5,000 victims a day in Rome alone. Now imagine that. That is way, way worse than what's going on right now in China. So to continue describing this plague, I'm going to cite an Atlantic article, theatlantic.com, that is about solving the mystery of what that ancient Roman plague was. 
And this is what it says. It's just incredible. It says the pandemic struck far and wide in settlements, large and small, deep into the interior of the empire. It seemed unusually relentless. It reversed the ordinary seasonality of death in the Roman Empire, starting in the autumn and abating in the following summer. The pestilence was indiscriminate. It struck regardless of age, sex, or station. The disease invaded every house. The pathology included fatigue, bloody stool, fever, esophageal lesions, vomiting, conjunctival hemorrhaging, and severe infection in the extremities. Debilitation, loss of hearing, and blindness followed in the aftermath. The speed of the diffusion points to direct human-to-human transmission. The belief that caring for the sick and handling the dead were fraught with danger underscores the possibility of a contagion spread between humans. Only one family of hemorrhagic viruses seems to provide a best match for both the pathology and epidemiology of the plague of Cyprian. Filoviruses, whose most notorious representative is, are you ready for it, the Ebola virus. And it's interesting that the Atlantic notes that um, the belief that caring for the sick and handling the dead were fraught with danger um, really lets us know that it would be only rational, only normal to avoid the sick, no pun intended, like the plague, because you didn't want to get anywhere near. And yet, the Christians there in the Roman Empire during the plague of Cyprian had a much different different approach. So I'm going to quote Dionysius, uh, who Eusebius is quoting in his uh, seventh book on church history. So Dionysius was there in the Roman Empire during this plague. So here's some testimony from an eyewitness about how the Christians approached this terrible pandemic. He writes, The most of our brethren were unsparing in their exceeding love and brotherly kindness. They held fast to each other and visited the sick fearlessly and ministered to them continually, serving them in Christ. And they died with them most joyfully, taking the affliction of others and drawing the sickness from their neighbors to themselves and willingly receiving their pains. And many who cared for the sick and gave strength to others died themselves, having transferred to themselves their death. And the popular saying, which always seems a mere expression of courtesy, they then made real in action, taking their departure as the other's offscurring. Truly, the best of our brethren departed from life in this manner, including some presbyters and deacons, and those of the people who had the highest reputation, so that this form of death, though the great through the great piety and strong faith it exhibited, seemed to lack nothing of martyrdom. 
and they took the bodies of the saints in their open hands and in their bosoms and closed their eyes and their mouths and they bore them away on their shoulders and laid them out and they clung to them and embraced them and they prepared them them suitably with washings and garments. And after a little, they received like treatment themselves for the survivors were continually following those who had gone before them. But with the heathen, everything was quite otherwise. They deserted those who began to be sick and fled from their dearest of friends. And they cast them out into the streets when they were half dead and left the dead like refuse, unburied. They shunned any participation or fellowship with death, which yet, with all their precautions, it was not easy for them to escape. So Dionysius, he describes a great difference between the approach to the plague of the Christians and the approach of the unbelievers. The Christians went to those who were suffering and nurtured them and had compassion on them like the good Samaritan, binding up their wounds, being a friend for those who were suffering, not fearing death. And yet the unbelievers, whether their friend or family, as soon as any hint of the virus was noticed, cast them out into the streets to die. And even yet with all the precautions that they took, Death was not eluding them. It was not escaping them. It's interesting how great an effect the Christians had on the Roman Empire by not fearing death. By the time of Constantine at the beginning of the fourth century, nearly one-tenth of the Roman Empire had converted to Christianity without having any influence in government. And yet their influence was so great. See, they really believed like Paul that God's power is made perfect, not in our strength, but in our weakness. Let me read a little bit from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul writes, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And yet he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, Cyprian, for whom the plague was named, not that he was a carrier of the plague, but it happened during his time as bishop of the city of Carthage in North Africa. And he was a very popular popular bishop with the people, not so much with Rome, but with the people. Because uh, after becoming a Christian, He was a very rich lawyer and he literally sold everything he had and gave the money to the poor. Just an incredible guy who really put his money where his mouth was. And so he writes and he quotes that same passage from 2 Corinthians 12. He's writing about 
the plague. And he cites Paul. He says this in the mortality or the death, right? He says, the apostle Paul, after shipwrecks and scourgings, after many grievous tortures of the flesh and body says that he was not harassed, but was corrected by adversity in order that while he was more heavily afflicted, he might the more truly be tried. There was given to me, he says, a sting of my flesh, an angel of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted. For which thing thrice I besought the Lord that it might depart from me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in infirmity. When therefore some infirmity and weakness and desolation attacks us, then it is our power made perfect. Then our faith is crowned. If though tempted, it is stood firm, as it is written, the furnace tries the potter's vessel and the trial of affliction just men. This finally is the difference between us and the others who do not know God, that they complain and murmur in adversity, while adversity does not turn us from the true from the truth of virtue and faith, but rather it proves us in suffering. Now he's speaking of the plague. He's describing it a bit. He says that now the bowels loosened into a flux exhaust the strength of the body, that a fever contracted in the very marrow of the bones breaks out into ulcers of the throat, that the intestines are shaken by continual vomiting, that the bloodshot eyes burn, that the feet of some or certain parts of their members are cut away by the infection of diseased putrefaction, that by a weakness developing through the losses and injuries of the body, either the gait is enfeebled or the hearing impaired or the sight blinded, all this contributes to the proof of faith. What greatness of soul it is to fight with the powers of the mind unshaken against so many attacks of devastation and death. What sublimity to stand tall amidst the ruins of the human race and to not lie prostrate with those who have no hope in God and to rejoice rather and embrace the gift of the occasion, which while we are firmly expressing our faith and having endured sufferings, are advancing to Christ by the narrow way of Christ. We should receive as the reward of his way and faith, him himself being our judge. And that's just incredible. He's saying that the Christians looked at this, not just as an opportunity, but as a gift, as a gift to suffer with Christ for the sake of others and for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom. That's just incredible. Cyprian is showing how a strong belief in the resurrection leads to a life of courage that brings unbelievers to a crossroads. Listen to this. He says, let him certainly be afraid to die. 
who not having been reborn of water and the spirit is delivered up to the fires of hell. Let him be afraid to die who is not listed under the cross and passion of the Christ. Let him be afraid to die who will pass from this death to a second death. And let him be afraid to die whom on departing from the world, the eternal flame will torment with everlasting punishments. Let him be afraid to die whom this is granted by a longer delay that his tortures and groans meanwhile may be deferred. While many of us are dying in this mortality, that is, many of us, us, are being freed from the world. Cyprian again is showing how these Christians so strongly believed in the resurrection and how that brought so much courage to them. It's very similar to what Paul says in Philippians chapter one, where he describes how this incredible courage in the face of death brings unbelievers to a crossroads, this opportunity to choose life. Paul writes Philippians one, starting in verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I'm hard pressed both from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sakes. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. The Philippian Christians were no doubt reminded, as Paul wrote that, of how the church at Philippi got started. Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy all walking through the streets of Philippi as the demon-possessed girl shouted, these men are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And eventually Paul cast that demon out of her and her handlers became very sad because their means of making money was gone. I encourage you to read about this in Acts chapter 16. Anyway, Paul and Silas were beaten and they were thrown into the stocks, into the dungeon, but they rejoiced in this. They kept on singing praises to God and it got the attention of a jailer. And around midnight, a great earthquake came and all the doors of the prison flew open. The jailer thought that all the prisoners had escaped and so he was about to take his life. And yet Paul and Silas told him 
to not take his life, that they were all there. And he comes running into Paul asking, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your entire household. It's just incredible the way Paul viewed suffering, how he was not running from suffering. And that made such an impact that he would rejoice in the midst of suffering. That made such an impact on that Roman jailer that he and his whole family got saved that night and a church was born there in Philippi. Like the Chinese Christians, the courage of early Christians in the face of death, based on a firm belief in the resurrection of the dead, is an inspiration to unbelievers. But again, I don't want to act like Christians aren't tempted to live in fear of death. We are. The writer of Hebrews addresses this in chapter two, as we read, and again in chapter 10. Starting in verse 32, the author of Hebrews writes, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming shares with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. You know, these Hebrew Christians, because of great suffering and persecution that was going on in the world at that time, they were living in fear. And though they, when they first gave their lives to Jesus, were full of courage and full of love that was casting out fear now They had grown older and that temptation, the temptation to let a fear of death control their their decisions, it was starting to creep back in. But the author of Hebrews begs them and pleads them, pleads with them to remember the love they had at first and to not throw away this confidence that they have, which will bring a great reward. And the author of Hebrews closes his book with this benediction in chapter 13. He says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, may he equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I don't know what you're going through today, but I know that temptation to live in fear of death is one that we all share from the strongest to the weakest, from the youngest to the oldest. It's something that we all deal with. But I want to encourage you that Jesus can help you live for him and live with courage in the face of the fear of death. I don't know how I would respond if I was in a situation like Cyprian 
and Dionysius. I don't know. But I want to respond like Jesus would, who for the joy before him endured the cross. May we believe in the resurrection as firmly and strongly as Jesus did. God bless you. Darkness everywhere You must think much more of me, I guess You must see some purpose in this mess Be still, my soul And seek His face It's not mine to know